0: children are dismissed to junior church at this time what a great time of worship we've had this morning i hope we all you know agree with that statement i mean are we excited to come worship the lord are we amen is that a privilege isn't it a privilege to worship the lord isn't it a privilege to be able to come together as a body of christ and, for, and as a substitute, but certainly not a replacement, to use also modern technology to help people to be able to worship the Lord, to be able to come to him and sing above all powers, above all thrones, above all kingdoms, Jesus, 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 it's all about him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is. Not he was. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to Father except by him. And I hope that motivates us and encourages us and builds us up as we come together to worship him. I hope that's something that takes, we take seriously. And I know sometimes we might need a kick in the pants on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. Maybe sometimes we're staying up late and we pay the consequences Sunday mornings. But it's a privilege to worship. It's also a privilege to come together and look at the scriptures. It is to me. I hope it is for you. We're going to look at Romans 4, and I encourage you to begin turning there as I continue to stay on this point for a moment. Many of you are football fans. Many of you are misguided football fans. I'm just kidding. I'm a misguided football fan to some of you. We have our teams. Some are baseball fans, basketball fans, and sometimes there's a big game. And on that big game, I prepare for the big game. A few weeks or a few days before, I prepare. We're gonna have hot wings and chips and salsa. You gotta have chips and salsa. And Maybe some pop or something like that. Maybe you invite some people over for the big game or maybe even go somewhere else. We had a Thursday night Brown Steelers game a few years ago and we watched watching the fellowship hall. We had snacks and stuff and watched. It was a horrible game. The Browns won. But we were prepared for the big game. Do we prepare for church that way for our worship service? Do we prepare for the sermon that way? Hey, I'm going to get my Bible out. I'm going to bring a, a notebook or something like that. Or maybe have it set up on my phone. And I'm going to review and prepare for the, to, 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 in, to encounter God. Unlike, unlike the big football game, I, I pretty much guarantee, unless you have a personal relationship with the coaches, they don't care about you. I yell at the TV all the time, and the coaches have never once listened to me. You know, and Megan could tell you. I've been frustrated with my teams. They don't care. God cares. And God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to engage with him in the word of God. And as you look at the word of God, the Holy Spirit, the word is illuminates, illuminates the word of God. He brightens the word of God up to you. And sometimes he convicts us. Sometimes he encourages us. Sometimes he strengthens us. Sometimes he rebukes us. Sometimes he reproves us. Sometimes he teaches us. Sometimes it's all of the above. Many times it doesn't happen if we don't prepare. If we don't care but sometimes it happens i should say many times it does happen in spite of our lack of concern at the end of the big game if your team wins you're excited i've only been to one or two college football games i've told they're more fun when college football games are normal and the team wins sometimes the fans even storm the you know storm the field and you know they're so excited are we excited about things spiritual? I'm not asking you to storm the pulpit after the sermon today. <laughs> but we, we have such a dichotomy, such a big difference between how our biblical worldview impacts our time of worship and sermon and Bible teaching and football or baseball or basketball. Some of you, I dare say, would even go to some of these sporting events this last year when you won't come to church events. I've been afraid to say that until now, and maybe I'll be tarred and feathered later, but if you see me with a new haircut, that's why. Um, Listen, is this as important to you? What are our priorities? What matters most? Someone said, if you follow the trail of your time, energy, and money, you'll find out what you worship. Follow the trail of your time, energy, and money, you find out what you worship. Craig and Rachel should remember that. It was a Cedarville Chapel in 2005 when I heard that. I'll never forget it. I'm just kidding. Um, it was Cedarville Chapel, but I'm not going to ask you to remember it. Been a lot of living since then. Follow the trail of your time, energy, and money. Find out what we worship. We're going to look at the scriptures today. We're going to continue to Romans 4. And we see really awesome, really pivotal, really amazing truths about God declaring us righteous as a free gift, justifying us. That's what the word is, justified. It's fun to say that word, justifying us. Freely, freely, freely justifying us. We don't have to earn it. That's cool. That's amazing. I hope that excites you. I recently rewatched some of the Star Wars movies. I've always been more of a Star Trek guy, but I guess it's acceptable during this day and age to watch both. And Disney Plus, which we got free a year ago and somehow kept paying for this year, uh, has all of these Star Wars movies and Marvel movies, which I really didn't watch. But but now they have all these Star Wars movies, so I thought Mercedes kept saying, "Hey, let me watch it. Let me watch it." So I thought, "All right." So we start with Star Trek, Star Wars. I almost made the mistake. Star Wars number four. I think it's called A New Hope. Then we go to Star Wars number five. Now, we started with those because those are the ones I watched when I was a kid. So then you go to Star Wars number five, The Empire Strikes Back. And then Star Wars number six, The Return of the Jedi. I was going to say Fight on Frontier, but that's Star Trek, which is the really cool show. But, anyways, and then we went backwards and we started with Star Wars number one and number two and number three, and then went to number seven, eight, and so on. but we haven't completed them all yet, except I might've stayed up late last night to watch one, but I'm not supposed to admit that right now. But um, anyways, not too late, okay? But just after the kids went to bed. But if you compare Star Wars number four to Star Wars number six, if you compare A New Hope Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is introduced. Most of you have probably seen it. Raise your hands if you've seen those movies. They've been out since like 1977. So if you compare Luke Skywalker in Star Wars number four to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars number six, it's a different Luke Skywalker. He's like a different guy. He's mature. I mean, he comes on in Star Wars number four and he's fast acting. He's kind of immature. He wants to, you know... Charge in and ask questions later. But then he begins his Jedi training in Star Wars number five. And so Star Wars number six is called The Return of the Jedi. Because he's uh, finishing his Jedi Knight training. And he's patient. He's calm. He has self-control. He has peace. He's not quickly angered. In fact, in towards the end, I know this because I recently rewatched it. Towards the end, the bad emperor even wants to try to make him be bad by getting anger with a loss of control. He matures. And I thought about that as I was thinking of this sermon. What makes someone change? That's just a fictitious show, you know. It's not a real life thing. But in real life, people do change. Hopefully all of us are changing. Hopefully God is transforming us all, making us more like Christ. What makes us change? And the Bible would teach the Holy Spirit changes us the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That's the word, sanctifies us. It's sanctification means that from the moment we become Christians until the moment we die, the Holy Spirit is making us more like Christ. And Star Wars has their own worldview, which we're not really gonna get in today, but there is some good things. It is a biblical thing a Holy Spirit thing, to have patience. I think there's a fruit of the Spirit about that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit changes us. Well, another thing the Holy Spirit does is the moment we become a Christian, the moment we become a Christian, we are declared righteous in God's eyes. That, the, the word for that is justified. And that's really what I want to talk about today because that's what this passage talks about. And that's my theme. My theme is that Abraham was justified by faith. And we also can only be justified by faith. To be justified means to be declared righteous. We can only be declared righteous by faith in Jesus. The moment we become a Christian, we are declared righteous. This is a long passage, so I'm only going to begin reading the first three verses, and then I'm going to read a little bit more later on. But let's read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Romans 4, 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's look at that one more time before we get more into it. What then, Paul's asking a question, what? What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Abraham is our forefather according to the flesh, according to genealogy. He's our father in the faith. You know that children's song, Father Abraham? I have many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? You all know it. So sing along. Yeah, Lisa knows it. Right arm, left arm. Abraham, our father in the faith. So verse 2, for if Abraham was justified, remember I already told you what that means, justified, declared righteous. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Why? Because he wasn't justified by works. He wasn't declared righteous before before God by works. For what does the scripture say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God. That belief is a trust, by the way. It means a firmly rooted trust. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't works. If it's works, you have something to boast about. Hey, look, I gave this much money to the church, so God made me righteous. I committed to the church so many days a week, so God made me righteous. I served the poor. I went to the rescue mission 28 hours a day, 20 days a week, and so I was declared righteous. It's not about that. We all do the good works because we love Jesus and because we love other people. That's not how we're saved. That's not how Abraham was saved. So, I want to talk about justification for a moment. In Romans 3.23, which Rusty, Pastor Rusty Savage, gave a wonderful message on last week. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.24, it says that we are justified freely. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Greeks, Jews, everyone. But... We are justified freely. That is so cool. Romans 6.23 says the same thing. At this point, Romans could almost be done. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul builds on this great theology of salvation. But now the Apostle Paul is giving us examples. He's going to continue to weave in this theology of salvation. But now he's using the example of Abraham. Because they would have all thought that Abraham was declared righteous by works. By the law, the covenant of circumcision. But he's going to make the case? Uh Uh-uh. Abraham was justified, declared righteous before the law. Before the covenant of circumcision. Before any of this. I talked about justification when I preached through Galatians a few years ago. Galatians is like the cliff notes of Romans, okay? So we talked about that. So I'm going to do some more summary. For some of you that have really good memories, it might be review. Uh, Justification, some of us think of justification as just as if I never sinned. I said that before, but that's not true. We still technically did sin. Justification is a legal term and it has two parts. Part one is forgiveness of sins. When we are justified, we are forgiven of our sins. That's part two, part one. Part one is clearing away the sins, clearing away the sins. Part two is imputed Christ's righteousness. It's imputed. It comes from Jesus. It's not my righteousness. It's imputed Christ's righteousness. Without forgiveness of sins, we are guilty. So this removes the guilt. It removes the guilt. We are forgiven. Imputing Christ's righteousness takes the wrath of God away from us and makes it so that we can stand before God. Imputing Christ's righteousness restores our relationship with God. We have a reconciled relationship with God. We were enemies with God because of our sins. But when we have imputed Christ's righteousness, we are made right with God. We have a right relationship with God. We are reconciled. That is a big, big, big deal. As an example... We stand before the judge. The judge is God. He examines the defendant against the evidence using omniscience. God knows everything. He has the evidence. None of our sins are hidden. Okay? The judge is God and he is examining us. He pronounces judgment. Later, we'll follow the pronouncement of the sentence. God's judgment is, get ready, not guilty. By reason of the atonement of Christ. It's not not guilty because we never sinned. We still sinned. We are not guilty because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. We are not guilty because of that's the atonement. The blood is covering our sins and that is powerful. Forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says he justifies the ungodly. Guess what? You and I, when God stepped into our life, we were ungodly. He justifies, declares righteous the ungodly. In fact, that's a definition of justification, as I've said a number of times, to declare righteous. It is not to make righteous. That would be sanctification and finally glorification. Sanctification is making us more righteous. Eventually, we go to heaven to be with God and we have glorification. And that means we are totally, 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 totally physically righteous. But we are declared righteous instantaneously by the grace of Jesus the moment we are saved. Therefore, your right standing is a declaration of the judge. A declaration of the judge. Not the result of your actually being good. It's a declaration of the judge based off of Jesus' death on the cross. We have the forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Blessed is the man who sin; the Lord will not count against him. That's an Old Testament quote. Blessed is the man who sinned, the Lord will not count against him. Have you ever faced a time where you knew you did something wrong? We all have, right? We all have. And we knew it's time to come clean. And we are so nervously, anxiously waiting to confess it to those we sinned against. And you know how good it feels to get that off our chest? Think about it God does not count our sin against him, us because of the atonement of Jesus. So we have the negative side of justification, which is clearing away forgiveness of sin. And then we have the positive side, the imputation. That's the word. Imputation of Christ's righteousness. Romans 3, 21 through 22 from last week. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We all receive Christ's righteousness by Jesus' death on the cross. It's not that we are not guilty, but that we have been freed from his condemnation. That's Romans 8.1. The forgiveness of sins is by confession. First John 1 John nine. If we, confess, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Jesus told the woman in Caught in the act of adultery. In John chapter 8, go and sin no more. The implication, God receives us as he would his own son, Jesus. is that powerful? God receives us as he would Jesus, his own son, because Jesus has given us his righteousness. That is awesome. Amen? Praise God. I almost got a Charlie horse in my leg. I get those. That was really bad. That would have been awkward to get in front of you too. So anyways, <laughs> it's awesome. We're not just forgiven. We are given Jesus's righteousness. I hope that as you sing our closing song in a few moments and as you go home, that motivates you to worship. That motivates you to serve Jesus. And that also mo- motivates you to share the gospel with others. Don't let that become just old news. Let it be new news every morning that we praise God that he has declared us righteous, that we are forgiven, that we have a restored relationship with God. Get it, get this. If you were just forgiven, but not reconciled to God, not justified, you would not be able to go to God in prayer. You would, you would have the forgiveness, but you would not have the restored relationship. We have a restored relationship. We can go to God in prayer through Jesus, our great high priest, because we have his righteousness. There is so much depth to that. Uh, Paul, in this passage, gives the example of Abraham and Abraham's faith. In verse 3, we have the quote from Genesis 15, 6. This is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He trusted in God. It doesn't say he worked so hard serving God. It, said he, it says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous by his faith. This was a big deal because the Jews would have thought that Abraham was right with God because of circumcision. That was their Jewish covenant they had. Most of us know that. I think it's interesting how often we just casually talk about such a thing. But Paul makes his case right here in this chapter. Verses 9 through 12 say that justification, Abraham's justification, happened prior, prior to the seal of circumcision. Years prior, years prior. Abraham was justified, declared righteous, I keep saying so you know what it means. Abraham was declared righteous some. 14 years prior to circumcision. It had nothing to do with the law. It had nothing to do with that covenant. The chronology of Genesis proves Paul's case. Abraham, get this, Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. That's Genesis sixteen sixteen, And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. That's pretty old. None of us are that old, so I can say that. But God declared him righteous before Ishmael was born. God declared Abraham righteous before Ishmael had even been conceived. Before Sarai had the idea, here, have Hagar, and you can have a wife by uh, uh, a baby by her. At least 14 years prior to the seal of circumcision, the covenant of circumcision, Abraham was declared righteous in God's sight. And here's the neat thing. We are grafted in. Even if you're a non-Jew, which I think most of us are, even if we're not Jewish, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are grafted in. We are grafted into God's family. Look at verses 23 through 25. But the words, it was counted to him, it was counted to Abraham, were not written for his sake alone. They were not written for Abraham's sake alone. But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be counted to us also as righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Right standing before God. We have a right standing, a right relationship with God through Jesus. We are reconciled with God. How do people change? How how does Luke Skywalker become a Jedi Knight and learn all that patience and things like that? How does this happen? How do Christians change? How do Christians change? How do we develop peace and patience and self-control? The first step is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. After that... Live for Jesus. Let him do the rest. As soon as you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are declared righteous. You have a right standing with God, a right relationship with God. And then God begins the work of helping us grow to become more like him. This passage is not about Abraham. It is about God. God transforms people. If you have been transformed by Jesus, it's not about you. It's about God working through the Holy Spirit within you. That's who this passage is about. Have you been transformed? Are you growing in Jesus? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Take that more seriously than you do the Browns game or the Steelers game or your baseball team. Take that so seriously that you share it with others. I know when your baseball team or football team or basketball team wins, you start sending the text messages, posting it on social media, giving the phone calls. When they lose, you want to call off work the next day because you're going to hear from your coworkers. Make this more seriously than that. You have right standing with God. God is working in your life. God has worked in your life. Don't keep that to yourself. Share it with other people. And let me say, if you do not know Jesus, today's a day for you to accept him as Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, today is a day for you to confess you're a sinner in need of a Savior. To sin means that you've done wrong things. We all have. If you do not know Jesus, today is a day to believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. If you do not know Jesus, today is a day to trust in him and commit to him. Confess. Believe, trust, and commit to him. Receive forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is an awesome, awesome, awesome spiritual truth. And I pray, Lord God, this motivates us to live for you, to follow you, to be committed to you. Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, and I'm sure that there are, may today be the day where they begin to take their uh, spiritual life seriously, where they confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior. For they believe in you as the one and only Savior, where they trust in you and commit to you. And may they tell you that they would like to live for you. May they tell you a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I have confessed, I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus. You died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you and committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. Lord God, help us all to live for you. Help us all to treasure the salvation you freely give us. And share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As always, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd love to help you. The altars are open. If you need some time in prayer and you want to come forward as a... why, Why come forward? Sometimes we come forward It's a... It's kind of a, the presence matters sometimes when we're able to kneel at these altars and pray to God. Of course, you could always so sit and pray at your seat. And during the closing song, you can do that after the closing song is over. You can keep on praying at, at your seat or grab somebody nearby you or, or somebody else from the church, and they'd be glad to pray with you. I invite the praise team for the closing. song.